G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. And joining me on the line right now is my good friend Charles Newington from Family Voice Australia. How are you doing, brother? <laughs> good. Nice to talk to you, Matt. It's great to catch up with you, mate. And uh, we always love to hear about the uh, hot topics in the news uh, from a biblical perspective. And Family Voice, of course, speaks up in uh, so many great areas in our nation. Big news yesterday with the appeal of Cardinal George Pell uh, being uh, quashed. Uh, what's uh, what's your thoughts on uh, the latest news there with uh, with Cardinal Pell? Yes, I, I'm particularly drawn to comments by uh, the dissenting judge, uh, Judge Mark Weinberg, and um, you know he mentions uh, what's evident to all of us that this has been a very very complex case, and and this is not a comment on Judge uh, on um, uh, on Cardinal Pell's guilt or innocence, but he he. Uh, he just makes some very, very interesting points. And um, I note that he said um, um, that, and this is sort of quoting him, he says that there was a significant body of cogent evidence, in other words, significant facts that didn't line up and that cast serious doubt on the victim's account, and yet the jury were invited to accept his evidence without there being any independent support for it. So when we bear in mind that the judge and the jury's role is to begin from the assumption of innocence and then to weigh the evidence and the corroborating testimony uh, in order to determine guilt beyond reasonable doubt, uh, not no doubt, just doubt um, uh, that's uh, created by significant evidence or the absence of corroborating testimony. And so Judge Weinberg he concluded his, his, his opinion by saying, I cannot in good conscience do other than maintain my dissent. So he didn't feel that, um, that it was sufficient to trust the testimony, the uncorroborated testimony of the, of the principal witness. And um, it, 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 you know, this, so this, this situation is quite uh, quite novel from a legal point of view, and I'd just like to ref- reflect for a moment on his language as he he was um, he cannot in good in good conscience do other than maintain his dissent, and it's um, it's sort of old-fashioned language, isn't it? You know, in good conscience, mm. and yet um, he's resorting to it. He's saying, I've weighed the evidence, and uh, and, and I cannot say beyond reasonable doubt. That the that the case is strong enough to convict, and and um, I think that um, this is actually the same defence that people of faith will use when they dissent from a public or a legal opinion on, say, abortion or euthanasia. Um, um, the, the, you know, the current uh, comment is that the, that uh, that we want to try to settle these issues as medical issues, not as moral issues. And yet, people of faith can't do that. They can't step aside from the 
from the moral dynamic of of, of abortion or euthanasia. And uh, so they're going to have to take a position on, on conscience. Um, and uh, and so I, I find it quite fascinating that conscience that, you know, has been dismissed, it's been sort of written out of um, conversation. Um, the judge brings it back in and he provides us with language that 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 we will use, a sort of defence that we will use because we don't feel that we can say beyond reasonable doubt that a child that is being aborted is not a child um, or a person who's being euthanized is is not um, a human being whose life has to be treated with the utmost care. So um, we're in this new sort of phase because on the one hand, the culture is moving away from Christian values and away from a view that um, um, the conscience is valid mm. and that faith is valid uh, and yet we find ourselves as Christians um, in a position where the very fact that the culture is moving away from conscience and faith is is emphasizing for us the importance of conscience and faith and the importance of the right uh, to, to be able to speak what we believe to be true um, in an environment where the law supports um, the, the fair and right um, use of freedom of speech. Mm, it's a fascinating uh, conversation to have uh, as you've been using the word conscience in, uh, in in your interview right now, Charles. I, I was reminded of watching uh, the New South Wales Premier Gladys Berejiklian uh, talking about the New South Wales abortion vote and yes. saying that it is a conscience vote. She said when it's a government bill, uh, we expect the government to, to vote with the government. But when it's a conscience vote, it's up to each individual to vote on their conscience. Yeah. And it, it's important that we are using this language in today's uh, society nice. because it is, you know, God has given each one of us a conscience and we need to uh, have, you know, God lead us by our conscience, don't we? Yes, well, I think that if you think about uh, imagine yourself in the dock, Matt, mm. And um, and the case is laid out against you, and hopefully, you know you are innocent. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, and yet the case that's been made uh, seems to condemn you, you know. And 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 now you are hoping that those jurors or the judge will will assess the evidence and make a decision um, in good faith. And in good conscience, mm. um, and and, uh, <laughs> and at that point, conscience becomes really important. That somebody is 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 going to do what they believe to be the right thing. And and you know, I was thinking about how in the courts, um, even though this notion of conscience may be ignored, you know how a person is sworn in, and uh, and the, and the witness is, is is asked to put their hand on the Bible or whatever sacred book or symbol that they feel is relevant, and to say that they promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help them, God, whoever their God may be, you know. But what they're doing there is they're saying, um, I will act according to conscience, and I understand what the consequences of perjury are. Mm. You know, uh, uh, in the final analysis, it's the person's that we will take on trust that the person is speaking the truth. And this this whole principle is so foundational to the Christian influence upon the development of law in uh, in Western society. 
And uh, it's such a powerful witness. Now, when you remove the Christian foundation, you remove the very basis for truth, actually. Mm. <laughs> and now it's the duty of the court and, and, the, uh, and the various uh, you know, um, um, agents of, of justice to try to prove uh, <laughs> to try to prove from the evidence of a testimony or whatever what the case may be, because we cannot rely upon the the uh, the, the the truth mm. <laughs> a witness. It's quite a thing, isn't it? We're, mm. we're in a quite a dangerous moment, aren't we? Well, it is wonderful to hear your commentary on that those hot topics, Charles. Another hot topic is the religious freedom debate in our nation, and on uh, August the fifth. There was uh, a whole bunch of religious leaders of major faiths who met with the Prime Minister and discussed religious freedom. What's, uh, what's the latest update there? Yes, well, um, you know, there's been some, uh, you know, concern that there was sort of some special treatment, but it, 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 that meeting was uh, n- not just exclusively for Christians, but that the, all the major faiths were represented there and the Prime Minister was just being very gracious and... Um, and helping them to um, to have a, you know to know that they, their concerns were were being considered, uh, but from a legal point of view, the issue was being resolved by the uh, Attorney General uh, Christian Porter, who who described the fact that what he's seeking to accomplish here, and they as a team are seeking to accomplish, is a matter of balance um, between the fact that uh, that we do have. Um, you know, we do have um, r- religious freedom and it has to be balanced with other freedoms in society at times. And so uh, this is interesting language that's being used, you know, as the language of balance. And I, I can imagine the legal profession sort of scratching their heads a little bit because it's such a challenging thing to try to der- arrive at a point of balance. Mm. You know, say, for instance, if there's disputed claims between, say, um, somebody who feels that 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 religious that religious rights are being used to to diminish their rights as a person who has a say homosexual sexual orientation or something like that, and that there's some kind of a conflict there with them, that's going to be quite a challenge for for those in law to to strike the balance in those situations. So it's a it's a it's a challenging time. I, I think that what we're always trying to Make the you know it was an interesting statement from uh, Dr. Phelps, you know the the former the former member for Wentworth when she said um, it's called religious freedom, but it's basically a privilege to be exempt from anti-discrimination law, you know, in respect of say hiring a teacher for a Christian school or something like that. Um, but here she calls it a uh, privilege to be exempt from anti-discrimination law. And, and what Christian uh, lawyers are saying is this, in fact, proves the point that religious leaders are making, is that religious freedom must not be viewed as a privilege conferred by government in the form of a narrow exemption. It's, it's not uh, our rights as, uh, as believing people. That's not something the government gives us. Mm. You know, but the, the, the documents like the Universal Declaration of Human Rights and the International Covenant on uh, on civil, civil and uh, political rights, these documents are saying these things are unalienable. You know, these are these are God given. They, they don't choose to use the word God given because it would raise all sorts of uh, problems. But so they just use the phrase unalienable. These mm. are just fundamental to what it is to be human that we have a right to believe. Uh, what we believe to be true and to live according to it. And uh, this is not, strictly speaking, just a religious thing. It's, it's, it's something that, that um, you know, people who choose to, 
to believe other things to be absolutely fundamental that they can't prove in a scientific sense. But um, <clears throat> so here we here we stand. It, it once again gets back to this matter of conscience. You know, people must be able to live by what they believe to be true. So um, so we say we say that that's the great mistake in the whole debate here is that so there are some people that refuse to acknowledge that the right to believe uh, is is actually an unalienable right. But of course, it is. Mm. One of the biggest. Uh, you know, news stories on the topic of religious freedom, of course, has been Israel Folau. And mm. I interviewed uh, Brad Thorne recently, who is the uh, oh, coach yeah. of the uh, the Queensland Reds, good, strong Christian brother. And and I asked him, what do you think about the Israel Folau case? And, and he said, no comment. And I thought, isn't that interesting that, you know, maybe 10 or 20 years ago, if this was a hot topic, a Christian footy coach would have been willing to speak up about it. But in this day and age, he, he actually shied away from giving a response, probably because in the rugby community, it's obviously a very hot potato, uh, hot topic, and, you know, could endanger his career, perhaps. Uh, but, I, you know, I think this is the thing we need to think about, Charles, you know. Look at how much things have changed in the last 10 or 20 years in Australia. And I remember hearing a preacher once say, a smart chess player can think seven moves ahead before he makes his next move. Uh, mm. If we don't bed down some strong religious freedom legislation now, what's it going to be like in 10 or 20 years for Christians to speak up about their faith in the workplace or whatever, you know? It, it, it's crucial that we get this right now, isn't it? Well, well, it is, but I think it's also very important to keep it uh, framed against the background of everyone's right. You know, yeah. it, it's, it, you know this is the thing about... Um, Christian freedoms, you know, that that we started, you know, and I, <laughs> I like to, to sort of remind myself that that this debate goes back an awful long way, yeah. you know, and that in the in the early 1600s there was this, what's called the Thirty Years' War in Europe, and that it was a conflict between Protestants and Catholics, and uh, and it was more than just a conflict between them, but it was the way in which the political powers aligned themselves with one side or the other, and finally, you know, uh, um, they started what was called the the, the the treaties, the process of Westphalia, where they they start to talk to each other, and over two years and a hundred meetings, they come to a place where they start to recognise that we have to stop this. We have to stop killing each other and persecuting each other on the basis of uh, our, our theological or our religious positions. And so they come to the, the treaties of Westphalia. And at that time, the, the, they were resolving the tension inside the Christian Church, as we think of it now, Catholic and Protestant, you know. And then there were subsequent edicts of, of what they called toleration, you know, after that, that helped people to understand that we've got to learn to tolerate difference. And, and now we understand that that was not just actually for Christians, but that that was us being given a model, of a way of understanding how we have to find a way of tolerating difference. Uh, and that means not just sort of, you know, <laughs> uh, having that kind of attitude, but recognizing that the, the, the thing that we require and we need and we ask for for ourselves, which is that we might live according to our faith in all good conscience, that if we, if we need that, we must also confer that on others and we must respect it for others and 
And that's part of the challenge, because the issue now is not not inside the church. The issue is now the church in relation to Islam or the church in relation to the gay lobby or something like that. Now we have to we have to have that the Westphalia-type conversation, this deep conversation where we come to actually talk to the people that are, stand at such opposition to us and our values and find a way of, of, of arriving at a new place of consideration. Because if we don't, you know, what, we, what we're doing is we're going down a path of very, very um, severe um, crisis. You can see how the society is being polarised in so many ways. And this polarisation is is very destructive and very unhelpful. And so we've just got to find a way of resolving it. And it's not easy because we're, we're, there are profound differences, but the options the options are worse. You know, it's, that's the nature of life in the world. <laughs> well, it certainly is wonderful to hear your commentary on these hot topics. And we've been chatting with Charles Newington from Family Voice Australia. If you'd like to find out more about their organisation, go to familyvoice.org.au, search up Family Voice Australia on Facebook and see all the uh, wonderful updates from Charles Newington. Hey, mate, thanks for your time. <laughs> bless you, mate. Thanks God bless you, thanks. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.